Welcome to the pod, everyone. A shout out to SGS. Hey, Rusty, why are we uh, partnering with SGS? Uh, uh, some, some, some good people there. Pretty excited about their sports coaching courses and sports courses. Keen to make them industry ready so when people leave, they're able to go and transfer it to any kind of industries, coaching, teaching, being an analyst, business, whatever it might be. So I think, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty exciting times, really. So what's so special about their degree courses that others won't be doing? I think it'll be lots of uh, real good partnerships, uh, opportunities for people to, to get into different contexts and learn and practice. It'll be feel very applied. People will be stretched and supported and will leave you know, ready to just go and thrive in the uh, big old world out there. SGS College is the home of Bristol's higher education sports programmes. The programmes are designed to develop unique, innovative and creative sports practitioners ready for industry. Do you want to be a coach or teacher of the future? Start your journey here at SGS College and become more than just a graduate. Visit sgscol.ac.uk to apply now. Cool. Welcome to the pod. Lee, King of Spain, how are you? Yep, I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me, Russell. That's nice. all right, that's all right. And just to, just to, where are you exactly? So I am based in between Malaga and Marbella at the moment. Nice. And you're on a balcony with a sea view and I'm not. Yep, life's, life's good at the moment. Nice, cool. Right, well look, thanks for, thanks for jumping on the pod. Uh, Jonesy being the uh, mutual connection is... Uh, and I've, I've looked at some of your stuff on Insta, etc. Do you want to kind of give people a, a quick story of how you got to being on that balcony in Spain? Um, so, yeah, so I am officially a strength and conditioning coach. That, that is my, I suppose, my main title, especially in, a, in the rugby world. Um, we've previously spent six years at London Welsh, um, and a little bit in professional football before that. Um, I left London Welsh in January 2016 to head out to Geneva to, to work for a, a performance company. And their main athletic population was motorsports, Formula One in particular. Um, and I then left there at this in March 2019. And I, um, went on to become head of academy for an ice hockey team in Geneva um, and then I wanted a, a little bit more of a change so we kind of handed in our notices and stuff and we're looking to move to Spain kind of start of April but obviously with what went on we had to sit tight so we arrived here start of July um, and in the background for the last year or so I've had the athlete tribe ticking along um, whereby trying to bring my experience and professional knowledge of elite strength and conditioning to to, to general population of people who play rugby football every sport basically um and I, th I think it's a huge area that is 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 missing for a lot of guys um in terms of just their their training and what they get up to um you know and that's a big thing. So that's where I'm quite, quite closely linked with Sid Cup and Jonesy because I've, I've probably been doing their remote programming for the last three years or so um, and just guiding the coaches, etc. Because at that level, you know, they haven't got the funding to have a full-time S&C 
based in the in the club. So I've been able to kind of help them with their speed, their conditioning, and and their, and their, their gym stuff to a lesser degree. Nice. And you're talking about the players, not the coaches, obviously, because the coaches could definitely do with being in better nick at Sync Cup. Uh, yeah, so uh, that's one thing where that's one area that you know with uh, Jonesy is quite quite keen on. So I've had a couple of um, remote meetings with all the coaches, and we've actually started to talk about health and wellness, and look at you know a healthier coach make, makes a better coach. Um, and you know we're not saying that you have to be super fit, um, but it's good sometimes for players to see coaches doing a bit of training. Um, and having worked in a professional environment, there are some, some seriously fit coaches um, and there are some seriously unfit coaches. Um, and it's good, it's, it's good to get them in the gym and, and get them training. Nice. And I, I actually, for one, would vouch for I'm, I feel better coaching when I'm, in, when I'm in better physical condition. Definitely affects my mindset as well. What's, I mean, what's the impact on a... So you're obviously doing a bit of stuff with Sinka. What do you think the impact is at that level of, of the stuff you're doing? What have you heard? So it, it's just to add in some structure. So by that, I mean, I think that there's a whole area whereby as a, as a coach, you guys sit down and you, you, you build out this kind of what you're going to do and what the sessions look like. And then, how your conditioning is, is built into that session. So I'm trying to educate people that we don't have to kill our players every session to get a benefit in a, in a conditioning aspect. Um, and there, there's one of the toughest things is working with coaches is to develop that understanding that, that you know, players don't need to be dying or, or puking or in a bad place anyone can make a player sweat but not everyone can make them better um and with with sid cup it's been a a bit of a an opportunity to try to see if it would work um and to link up with with coaches that want to progress not only in terms of improving their players but improving their own knowledge about how we can go about it um, and that's been a, been a big success and it's kind of growing now. I'm supporting a, a few other, few other smaller clubs that basically just, just want a little bit more advice about what's going on. Um, so especially at the lower leagues, it's great to see that some clubs are getting, you know, 40, 50 people to pre-season. Um, and when I was coaching in the UK, I helped and supported Blackheath and that would be a case on a, on a Tuesday and a Thursday night. And that can be quite, an organisational thing to, to get sorted. So it just adds on that, that extra block to what the guys are going to be doing. What, and what type of nudges uh, would I see if I went down to Sinkup? What would, I, what would I see, do you think, that would, would be helpful? Um, similar in terms of what we're trying to do, instead of blocking everything out, so, you know, you'd have your dedicated 30 minutes to conditioning and a warm up, etc. Then you'd go and do your skills and then you'd go and play your games. Now, now there's much more of an integrated, you know, so that we're trying to get it so that it's during the course of the session. Um, so whereby small sided games, which are, you know, very 
efficient at improving conditioning. The only problem is that fitter players get fitter, unfit players get unfit because a lot of players just stand around unless you've got access to GPS where you can see who's doing what. So we still need to kind of break away and look at doing some, some, you know, some shuttle-based work, however that may look like. And to try and integrate that into the coaching program as well is something that is important. I think it's usually beneficial, you know. So that's the types of stuff that you'd hopefully see. Nice. And then some of the other stuff, so grappling, wrestling, that type of things with the lads that sync up be fighting each other on a Tuesday and a Thursday evening. That, that is a little bit difficult because that's a highly technical skill. Um, and, you know, even even at the professional level, it's something where you're always risking a player. You're putting them into a different sport that they don't know. And it, it can be quite risky, risky to a certain degree. Um, and you need to have a coach who knows exactly what they're doing, but you also need a, the players to buy in, buy into that. Um, but you know, contact and, and conditioning for contact is, is a huge area that, that's definitely grown in the last 15 years. What's, what stuff would they be doing at Tinker? So what we're trying to do is that, obviously this is a bit of a unique pre-season. So we don't really know when, when you know, the season's going to start. So the idea is to, to kind of have this opportunity to develop so, for example, the last eight to ten weeks has been a huge emphasis on aerobic development. And now we're getting to a stage where we're going to start to drop in some anaerobic power work, some anaerobic capacity work. Because if we drop that in too early, then all it does is it just creates kind of some big fatigue in the system. And, you know, we, we can't keep hammering at that, that energy system for that long period of time we need to basically drop in and drop out from an emphasis point of view so that's the types of things that you, you would see hopefully you know so that's what I might I send them over to do nice and why do you think uh, and why do you think clubs are not I think you said like it's a huge area that's missing what do you what do you think the reasons for that are um, it, it's, it's a whole it's a, you know Strength and conditioning is a profession. It's something that people go and study in degrees now and master's programs and do internships. Um, whereas obviously if you're a coach that, and you're a tactical technical coach, sometimes you probably don't have that time you know, to go out and resource all the latest stuff that's coming through or, or what's being filtered down from the, the, the professional teams. So it, it's really a an opportunity whereby there are some, one of the biggest things that strength and conditioning coaches are trying to do and trying to get is experience. You know, we, we need as coaches to be able to take what's in a book and apply it and say, yep, yeah, that works, that doesn't work, or that's not my philosophy, or I want to change it a little bit. Um, much the same as with a coach, you know, your coaching eye, you get better at coaching, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so what it does is it just allows a coach to have somebody come in and say, you know, this is, this is what you can do. This is how to make that or make your session as efficient as possible. 
so that we can prepare our athletes to, you know, really there's two, two main things for strength and conditioning. We want to improve performance, but we also want to reduce the risk of injury. Um, and they're the two big areas that we should be focusing on, basically. Um, and that's the, that's the area that I, I feel that, you know, can be missing sometimes. And, and, and what type of, so how does that work from a, an injury reduction point of view? What's, what's your, what does a Zoom look like with the coaches? You're obviously doing it remotely at the moment. What's... So the Zoom things are a little bit different because that's more on health and wellness. Um, so if we talk about that to start off with, it's just to improve that as an overall um, area. So we, we've talked about sleep. So, for example, a, um, a big thing is that most training is on a Tuesday and Thursday night. So just as a player, you know, they come off the training ground at, say, 9, 9.30. Well, you know, your heart rate is up much more than it should be at that time. You know, you'll probably find it a little bit tougher to get to bed. You'll probably have a poorer night's sleep on a Tuesday and a Thursday night. Now, coaches are no different because we coach because it's enjoyable. It gives us that a little bit of adrenaline, that enjoyment. Um, so exactly the same, you know, you come off the training ground, you might have a little bit of a chat with the coaches to say, how did the session go? But then you struggle to get to sleep because your brain's probably worrying about lots of different things. So what we've tried to do is outside of those evenings is to try and build in good habits to improve your chances of getting a good night's sleep. So we looked at that. We then have touched on a little bit about nutrition and what that should look like from a general kind of health and well-being point of view. There's been a huge push, especially in, in that group of individuals to set themselves physical challenges. And, you know, they're, they're recording the distances that they're, they're running, they're walking, they're cycling, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, that's it from, from that point of view. From an injury prevention point of view is more, it depends how I deliver it. It's maybe through an app or, or through an you know, a, a Excel sheet or a PDF, whereby giving guys structured strength and conditioning programs so that they know what they're doing come a, a Monday when they go to the gym, you know, Tuesday before training, etc. you know, to build upon that foundation of what a professional rugby player would be doing. Um, and from a gym point of view, there's, there's not probably going to be much difference between an amateur player and a professional player. Um, you know, there might be a, you know, a, a few different exercise selections, but the total, the, the goal of the, the program is exactly the, is exactly the same, you know, to improve performance, to make yourself durable and robust. Um, and what we try to do is, a, if you look at how an athlete would train, it's much more of a, how should we put it, a whole body of, of, of approach as opposed to, you know, Monday I'm going to do legs, Tuesday I'm going to do upper body. We're trying to really move away from that now. So we're trying to spread the fatigue over the week, especially trying to push it to kind of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and allow them to be able to, to play on a Saturday. Nice. Uh, what good sleep habits could I, could I be using? What would be useful for me to know? So nothing that's probably you've not, not heard. It's just good to reiterate that 
we're, we work on a clock, you know, the human body is, is, is a clock. Um, our, our cells in our body have internal clocks that, that keep ticking through the day. So, you know, trying to go to bed at the same time or within a 15 minute, like a, what we call a sleep gate is a big thing, you know, to try and go to sleep at the same time every night to try and get up in the morning at the same time every morning, even on weekends is a, is a huge thing. Um, because in terms of my other kind of area, which I work in is working with corporate individual CEOs and executive types. Um, and they, they get something called social jet lag whereby, because, you know, they go to bed late, they get up early, during the course of the week and then at the weekends everyone tries to sleep a bit more etc so what happens is that you're adjusting your time zones basically and you, you feel as if you've been traveling but actually you've, you've not gone anywhere the next big one is caffeine and the amount of caffeine that that people have um, caffeine basically relieves your sleep pressure so you know if you're having lots of caffeine especially early evening or in the evenings and that is going to affect your, your sleep or your ability to, to get into deep sleep. You know, alcohol is a big one again, you know, it's especially apt around this time where a lot of people, instead of going out for, you know, for beers and drinks, etc., have a tendency to, to drink at home. So, you know, alcohol is a sedative, so it increases the speed at which we fall to sleep. And actually we want to take a little bit of time, you know, going into that deep sleep. Um, so all those types of areas that we've kind of, touched on um, to really get them thinking about their sleep so the easiest way that we do it from a tracking point of view you know is to say over a course of a you know three or four days is to write down the time you went to bed the time you got up so that gives you your hours not asleep but trying to sleep and then just rate the quality of sleep out of a scale of one to five five being you slept like a baby one was the worst night ever and just over those three or four days, you know, have a little bit of look at, you know, what I'm, what's my average? Am I getting, you know, 40, 50 points? Um, and, and, and what could I be doing to, to improve that? So they're the types of areas that we, we've, we've touched on. 45 points I got last night. Yeah, so, you know, so it, it just helps people um, because the in any habit that we're trying to change and it's the same as in coaching if any any skill or think you you know you've got to try and change with a, with a player there first needs to become an awareness where we think or we know that we're, we're doing something wrong and we know roughly what we're what we're doing wrong to actually make that change you know so it's it's the whole idea of you know, that moving from unconscious incompetence to unconscious competence that's the the broad scale of spectrum that we're trying to, to move through um and we just get into bad habits quite easily um as opposed to getting into good habits quite easily and habits take time they take practice they take consistency nice well i also have social jet lag i don't drink alcohol but i have way too much coffee and actually I'm currently trying some habits at the moment, so I'm into my, uh, this week I am, uh, um, I'm just trying it, but I don't know whether it's right or wrong, I'm just going to see whether it impacts upon me, I'm not going to eat until 12 o'clock, so I'm going to have that kind of intermittent fasting, yeah, fasting, I'm just going to try it for a week and I'm going to see what happens, and then 
next week I might try something different, but I'm just, I might, next week I might just try, well, I'm going to have no dairy. So I'm just going to play around with stuff and see. It might not be long enough to have impact, but I'm going to try it anyway. Um, yeah, intermittent fasting is a huge area and there's lots of really good research coming out, um, not only from the benefits from a, you know, a weight loss point of view, um, but it just seems as if it, it's quite good for us occasionally to, to not eat as often as need be. Yeah, I don't think I'd be catching many animals on the prairie at the moment. The, um, the other stuff, so do the coaches measure their physical activity or the players or both? Um, yeah, so, but, so both, you know, the coaches are, are looking at it as a, as a group of coaches. So they've set themselves team challenges and obviously, you know, we speak probably, um, we're speaking reasonably regularly once a month. Now we push it out to every couple of months and we'll sit down and we'll go through and they're not professional coaches. So they have jobs, they have other, other parts of their lives. So it's good to sit down and find out, you know, what's, what's stopping them from, from doing it, from achieving their goals. Why? So we really try and set out for them to do 12 to 18 sessions per month. Um, so there's, there's some ex players in the coaching group that are obviously still keen and keeping quite fit so that, you know, they're smashing it out. And then there's some other coaches that, are just not kind of getting to that minimum minimum dose and it's really interesting to sit down and you know they talk about the reasons why etc etc and we help or I help or I give them ideas about different ways to go about you know fitting physical activity in into your into your day so not really from a strength and conditioning point of view because there's a different analogy but really what I try to talk to people about is general and specific so general is classed as your you know the number of steps you've taken the, the flights of stairs how much time you stand up etc etc um, specific is if you really need to get changed to do something I would class that as specific exercise and what we're really what people do a lot is that they just focus on the specific you know, so I go to the gym three times a week for an hour, blah, blah, blah. I'm good to go. But actually then they're, they've got no general activity. Um, and general activity is really important for just overall health and longevity. Just making sure that you're, you're trying to move as much as possible. Um, and I'm not a great big fan of the 10,000 steps a day rule um, because I don't think that allows for people's variation in lifestyles. But if you can imagine, if you're a coach, then the Tuesday and Thursday evenings, your step count should be pretty high because you should be walking around constant. But then on a Monday and a Wednesday and et cetera, it might be a little bit lower and that's okay. Variation is a good thing in people's lives. But really it's a case of, you know, come Sunday evening is to have a look back, have a bit of a recap on the week and just say to myself, well, you know, how many steps did I do over the course of a week? Um, and, you know, if, for example, you do sit down at work a lot, then it's, you know, or you know that you've got a really busy day to coming up. Well, what can you do the day before or the day after to kind of help with that? Nice. I did 20,000 yesterday. Um, I am addicted to steps. And trying to keep them above ten thousand, 
Uh, I think it's good for me to measure stuff. Um, something I read recently was that actually you should make your steps as long as possible as well, because as you get older, your, your steps become shorter. So if you want more kind of flexibility, so I sometimes find myself walking a bit like John Cleese. Um, I, do, I do the general, I don't do the specific enough. I'm just, so I think, um, so something I'm trying to design at the moment is a 30 minute session in my garage that involves various pulls and pushes and lifts and stuff. And I, and I have to do a 10 minute stretch before I start it. So, and I'm going to try and do a streak. So I guess one of my, I mean, how are you trying to make stuff stick with people? That's the, that's always the challenge with this for me because I come from, I played professional sport and if I'm honest, it put me off going to the gym for life. It just became uh, boring. So yeah, there's lots of, lots of points to that. One is like, don't make it too hard. I know that sounds stupid. So, you know, even if it's, even if you just start off with getting the stretch done and you do 10 minutes of push and pulls, you know, and just build on that, just build on that kind of foundation is, is a great way to start. Second of all, really, you've got to think of the, the why you're doing it and associate why you want to do it. So it, it, it's super interesting if you, if I speak to the ex-players that I used to work with at London Welsh um, and how some players, as soon as they finish their career, they've stopped training. They, they, and, but they were really good trainers because they had that why. They had that reason to, to push themselves because they knew that if I am fitter, stronger than the opponent, it's a huge advantage to have as soon as I step onto the pitch. Um, and then you've got the other players that actually do it or, or, or keep training because that, that's part of their nature. They've, you know, they've done it you know, for so much time that they, they feel as if it's, it's not part of them. So it's really down to, to your why. Why do you want to go to the gym if, if it's not to improve your performance, you need to really think about, well, yeah, you know, the great one is if I've got family, I want to be able to, to still move when I'm 60, 70 and still be able to run around with my children, my grandchildren. And they're simple little things. Or, you know, you're building towards a challenge, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of the ex-athletes that I've spoke to in the last kind of five months or so, you know, they are doing some seriously stupid things, like from a challenge point of view, because they need that, that, that game, that end kind of final um, competitive thing to do. That's what I need. I need a challenge. That's what the SIG Cup coaches need. They need to run the SIG Cup half marathon or something. Yeah, so that's, we haven't thought about that yet, but we, they're challenging each other as a, as a group of coaches. Um, and putting that accountability. So, for example, who's who's accountable for you going to to your garage to do them? Yeah, unfortunately, it's just me. But I mean, sharing it with other people would be helpful. My, um, one of the other and, things we're talking about with the England Women's Touch is trying to so they they do a fitness test and actually for charity to lower the fitness test for charity. So actually, people then have a strong why connected to a charity. They're all have some strong feelings around um, and attachment to. And so, yeah, we're debating that as a, you know, get fit for charity type stuff as well. Yeah, and when when we mean, you know, accountability, you don't have to, you know, post it on social media or whatever. You just have to tell 
a couple of people close to you that you know hey this is what I'm, I'm thinking of doing and this is because it's amazing what that little bit of peer pressure or that little bit of a check-in you know occasionally does with people so for me at the moment working with all my remote athletes you know so it's app based so that you know i can see if you've done the session i can see if you've missed it i can see how well you did the session and it's just taking a little bit of time to say hey russ how was it going whatever and it's great from a coach's point of view to get the feedback and also you know just for them to say hey look somebody is watching a little bit what i'm doing um it, it's a big spur to push people on no she spoke about wellness uh, uh why why wellness so what well, to touch on basically because you'll have been um because you'll have been in a professional rugby environment where i don't imagine they spoke about wellness that much no it, if you look back or it, there's been a huge shift now i think and it's really important for people to understand the the importance of of wellness from a from a longevity point of view um and the best you know the best the best ability is availability from a professional point of view there's you know there's no point having people injured um and for me with obviously what, with what's going on and mental wellness and mental resilience well physical resilience also helps with mental resilience just as mental resilience helps with physical resilience um so if if you've got a good grounding in wellness you are going to be more mentally strong you are going to be able to to recover better from any stress that comes at you um, and what we need to understand is that stress is stress. Your body doesn't say, hey, look, that's mental stress, that's physical stress. It's still a, it's still a load on your, on your system, especially on your nervous system and how you react. Um, and we have two, you know, atomic or automatic nervous system, our parasympathetic and our sympathetic. So our kind of, you know, rest and digest or our fight and flight. And what we're trying to do is we, is we don't need to spend as much time in that kind of highly stressed fight or flight system. Um, and especially with what's going on now, you know, it's, 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 it's a tough time for, for lots of people. Um, and in a corporate world, it's not to, not for guys to get or girls to get up for things or to work hard. It's, it's the opposite. It's how do they, how do you turn off? How do you switch off? How do you relapse? Um, and in in the rugby terms, you know, especially with mental health, it's no different. How how do you get a professional athlete to switch off? It's a huge area of discussion, and you know, working around ways to to try and get guys or, or girls to really think about, you know, not thinking about rugby or not thinking about their sport. It's um it's a big one. What's what type of stuff are you nudging people towards? Um, so for me, um, breath work has been, breath work's become a quite a, a, a big area of my research or kind of my drive for knowledge in the last three years or so. Um, and all along the premise that, you know, our mind, our mind controls our breath, but our breath controls our mind. And 
what's been quite good to relate back to Sidcup is that Jonesy's very open to to different things. So one area which we're really trying to work with the players is their breath work. So there's a guy called James Nestor who's written a, a, a book about breathing. Um, and I was listening to him on a podcast the other day. And from his research, they reckon that 80% of the population are breathing inadequately, inadequately or poorly. Um, and if you relate that to how people are working out physically, um, it's, it's a game changer. And so we're trying to work on different ways for guys to improve their breathing mechanics when recovering, different ways to improve their breathing when they're warming up and, and when they're cooling down. Because as soon as you finish training, you want to start that recovery process. And breathing is probably the easiest, fastest and most efficient way to get that done. Nice. I'm probably in the 80%, I would imagine. My wife would say that I definitely am, especially at night. Yeah, um, so sleep apnea is a huge one, you know, lack of lack of sleep quality, um, etc. Nice. Uh, top tips on good nutrition for Rusty while I'm on the top tips? Um, I Probably none that you've never heard before. Um, people still, even though we kind of have pushed it for the last 30 years, don't eat enough vegetables, don't eat enough kind of green, red, blue, white vegetables in their diet you know i think that the world health organization recommendation is eight fistfuls of veg and two of fruit so a great one to say is look how many oh, yeah a day a day so think about it how many have you done have you done eight in the last two days three days you know i've i've, I've presented it in some corporate places and you know we're looking at five days for people to get eight eight portions of fruit and veg um so that, that's a big starting point um the areas of you know how much carbohydrates proteins and you know that kind of always swings in roundabouts for me i think the biggest thing is there's lots of diets out there you know there's lots of you know whether it's intermittent fasting whether it's well, maybe not that's not such a diet but you know vegan keto high carb low carb high protein etc etc and the best diet is the is the one that suits you and suits your lifestyle um and any diet that you can consistently stick to is going to be the best one obviously if that if that's good for you then you know and it improves your kind of health then, then that's the way to go um you know, we, we all need carbohydrates, you know, to a varying degree. Some people less, some people more, depending on the level of physical activity. Um, everyone needs a certain amount of protein to kind of recover, even if we're not doing high levels of exercise. Um, and again, everyone needs a level of healthy fats to help with hormonal production, to help with kind of all the things that come with eating a good, you know, sound source of fat next week is going to be eight fists of fruit and veg that's going to be my challenge so you know the best way to do it is a blender a nutri bullet because most people if, if you skip your veg fruit well if you skip some veg in the morning with your breakfast then to get eight fistfuls 
from lunch onwards can be quite a challenge. So a, a smoothie is a great way for people to, to break their fast or have their breakfast. You know, so some spinach, you can add in some berries, you, you can really carrot, whatever you want. A good source of kind of some, some protein, you know, whether that's a protein supplement or some eggs or whatever, and, and off you go, basically. I can confirm I do not have vegetables at breakfast, so I'm, I'm, I'm already missing out on that. Uh, let's talk about rugby. So um, back in the day, you had to spend time at London Welsh. You would have had some colourful times there, some ups and some downs and a variety of different coaches and characters. What's, what's the stuff you remember most fondly? Um, so... <clears throat> I was there for six years and I must have had, what did I do? Three, four, four head coaches in that period of time. So there was a, there was a, there's a massive amount of instability. Um, and you probably know this more than the most about creating a culture and creating a way to play and, and, and what that, that breeds. Um, so, yeah, there's, there were some good, there were some good parties. There were some, you know, not some, some great things. There were some amazing kind of European trips away, um, you know, as, as you can imagine. Um, but for me, it was a, an opportunity to, to really appreciate learning from another coach that had nothing to do with what I was coaching, you know, so you know, you take a Lynn, a Lynn Jones, for example. Um, I know that a lot of players respected him as a, as a, a technical, tactical coach. Um, and he, he thrived in that coaching environment. That was, that was his, that is his, his passion. And you could see that through it, through his coaching. Um, and, you know, you, you would get, you would get two very different coaches, but were achieving equally, equally good results um and yeah there were some tough times you know going a whole year in the premiership and, and not not winning a game and how you know how to motivate players to to get in a gym and to push themselves and to keep fit um and you know how that was done it was it was a, it was some tough times but again you know out of tough times you you learn a lot about players you learn a lot about yourself and about how things are um and you know it it, it, it was a it was a good place to be for for a number of years what did you learn about yourself um you know i think that kind of for me coaching at has has three real areas so there's the science area there's the art area and there's the craft and i would say that in bad times, you kind of not necessarily you move away from the science, but you really focus on how you how are you going to get this player to 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 do what you want them to do, basically. And that comes down to how you your relationships with the players. And even as a strength and conditioning coach, I can put my hand up, and there's probably a number of players that I I didn't have great relationships with, whether that was just something you know you can't get on with everybody um you don't have to like me but you have to respect me is is one thing that another coach told me 
Um, so working alongside another coach, we'd always try and find a balance of, of who would work with who and kind of, you know, round hole, round, round pegs into square holes and all that kind of stuff. We really tried to, to get the, the best out of the guys. Um, and, you, you know, as a strength and conditioning coach, you might be the world's best strength and conditioning coach. But if you're the team you're working with isn't performing, then it, it doesn't really matter. Likewise, if you're the world's worst strength and conditioning coach, but you've got the best team, uh, you know, everyone thinks you're great. Um, and, you know, we won two championships and the, the accolades that come with that. And then the next year we really struggled. Well, one year we did quite well in the premiership. Um, there's a few obviously issues and then the other year we, we kind of struggled so you know there were some good times and bad yeah. times lots of people would associate winning with meaning there's some really good stuff going on it might just mean that you've got the best players you've got the best players and you might be spending more money than other teams especially in uh, in football what um what did you find out about working with coaches so a whole different you know raft of coaching characters you would have experienced there. Lynn is a, Lynn's a coach actually, I hear. So I actually messaged him and said, when I asked players which coach got the best out of you, your name comes up more than anyone else. Yeah. And yeah, I hear some absolutely incredibly crazy stories about him. Which are um, probably all true. Which are probably all true. So yeah, I was just, yeah. What did you learn about working with coaches? Um... So, you, they're a little bit, they're, they're like a player to a certain degree that you need to, to understand that, that individual and that, how they communicate and how they, they, they do their things. Um, and how they deliver a session can be very different, but their goals are are the same so it doesn't really matter how you get there as long as you as long as you get there um and with some coaches that i've worked with it was more of an education process to to really educate them about why we're doing the things we're doing and why we want them done in a certain way um and that 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 can that could be tough um and the big one of the big things is that being working with some players who had been in some really good kind of high level environments. Um, one player spoke to me about this idea of being proactive and reactive. So, and it kind of made a lot of sense to me that as a coach, you probably want to be proactive all the time. So, you know, you've got what your structures are and you're always going to touch on those, those core skills. But then you need to be reactive to, to who you're playing and, and adjust that. Um, and I started to think that about my, my coaching is that, hey, look, um, I, we're, we're hugely proactive. So if you're one of my players, I know what you're going to be doing four weeks on a Tuesday morning, probably at about 930 Um but I also needed to be reactive towards what's going on, basically. So it, it, it comes that point in the time they're saying, hey, you know, everyone has, a, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. So don't be afraid to adjust, you know, because you might not achieve 
100% of what you wanted to do on that day. But, you know, it's better to achieve 75% at a much higher quality than push the guys so hard that, you know, come down later on down the line, whether that's the day after or the week after or four weeks after, they're in a bad place. Uh, and what one thing do you wish, go back, transport you back in time to London Welsh, what one thing do you wish you'd known um, um, about coaching? And, and also, what one thing do you wish all those coaches could have understood about S&C that you still think, nah, oh, wow. you didn't quite get that? So, um, probably the one thing is, you know, is, is probably to have more, more fun. You know, definitely with what's, what's kind of happening at the moment. Um, you know, I spoke to some old players. I spoke to the kit man the other day. And you look back and actually, when you're in something, in the middle of something, it can seem, you know, hard work. It can seem kind of disappointing at times. But actually, if you, you know, this idea of staying in the present, actually, if you, you look around, it, it, you know, it, it was really good. We had some really good fun, but I'd probably want more fun. From a coaching point of view, is I think the coaches get the best out of their strength and conditioning coaches when they see them as a coach in their team. So they see them as you know, a units coach, a defense coach, an attack coach, a strength and conditioning coach. Not to, not to put us on the periphery of the support you know, as you're, you're a, you know, you do your job, I'll do my job. Um, but I, I'll always come and tell you how to do your job. Um, and that was really, that's probably the biggest learning in every sport I've been in, you know, and I've worked with some coaches and, you know, that's the first thing that they'll say to me is like, you, Hey, I don't care what you do. Just make sure they're fit, make sure they're strong. I'll do what I need to do. Yeah. But the thing is that, we're, we're linked together. We're, we're not, you know, so when, when you have, when they have discussions about players, you know, we, you want, we should really be in that room having that discussion because not necessary from a physical point of view, but we, we might spend a lot longer with the players than the actual coaches. You know, we, you know, we spend an hour with them in the, in the gym we warm them up you know yeah, and often one-on-one so yeah, often yeah. relationships where yeah that's so like, a good point it's actually not just the physical yeah yeah so you know there were some times when you know oh, when you did have an opportunity and be like oh well you know they're not they're not doing great in the gym at the moment but i don't think it's because of this i think you know they've got something's going on or you know, they're not sleeping well at the moment. And that's a great little insight, you know, for however that coach to deem that they want to challenge, not challenge that, but, you know, ask that question, you know, hey, what's going on? You know, I think that we've always been, strength and conditioning has always been holistic, but now it's even become more of a process of being holistic. So what I mean by that is that, I, I can only really affect change on a player in that hour or when they're at the club. You know, I can educate them about what to do outside the club. But it's kind of, you know, that 
16, 17 hours when they're away from you is, is what they're do what they're doing basically. Um, so, you know, that's it is, is to, you know, I think if you look at the, the really good coaches, they re they have an S and C that they trust and they have next to them. And that it is part of the team. Which coach do you think like you worked with the best? Uh, I use with because often you're, you're, you're termed you're working for. Um, I think that probably from, from a from a coaching point of view in a, in a, in a sport, I think that it's a it's a tough one really to to think back now. Um, from a relationship point of view, I think probably you know the last ice one of the last ice hockey coaches I worked with was a was a, a developmenting we developed a relationship so basically yeah so it, it kind of started off a little bit like that and then towards the end there was very much this kind of like right hey let, let's let's sit down and let's kind of go through these players individually and I'll talk to them about their their game or what's going on on the ice or in training and you talk to me about what's going on in the gym environment and we'll come to an agreement of you know how we're going to get this player to move forward um and that that was kind of it was, it was it was a good place to be um because we you need to understand that we you know there's lots there's obviously lots going on in a club um and i would say that probably even more so sometimes is, is physiotherapists have a huge strong relationship with with players because you know they they spend a lot of time with that guy you know and, and you're rightly so that some of my best relationships with players were the ones that were injured you know that was that was one of my roles was end stage recovery so the physios would say hey look we've taken to some this point you know it's now time for them to come back into that environment and, and develop um and yeah you, you'd spend a lot of time with a, with an individual so you'd get to know yeah you know girlfriend situations, wife situations, what's going on with their kids, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and you have, to be, you have to be careful because you have to still have a professional relationship. Um, so I have to know that when they're back in the team and you're not pulling your weight, I can turn around and say, come on, Russell, mate, you need to pull your finger out your ass and not feel as if that's kind of asking too much, basically. No, some stuff I picked up on. I think S&C should be head of fun. Not that many coaches are head of fun, so we need we need someone. Uh, I think often coaches don't connect the S&C with the tech-tack in the same way they don't connect the psych with the tech-tack. Well, that person can't scrimmage because it's a physical thing. It's not a, it's not a technical, just an isolation thing. Um, what, what did you learn from other sports? So you referenced the ice hockey and obviously um, motorsport stuff. What, what did you learn from other sports? Um, I think that you, it might seem obvious, but every, every sport has its own little culture. Um, and as a strength and conditioning, as soon as you learn about that culture and, and try and, to understand what's going on and that is the language 
you know, how coaches coach, how all, all this goes on, the sooner you can start making um, inroads into that sport. Ice hockey is a prime example, you know, an English guy going in coaching about ice hockey, um, whereby, you know, we, we had a group. So I'd look after the 20s, the 17s, you know, and we'd have ex-professional ice hockey players coaching. And, you know, what, what does this guy, this English guy know, know about ice hockey? You know, it's, it's not big in the UK. So you have to get, you have to start to understand the culture. So ice hockey is lots of games, basically. That, that's one of their, their, their big, you know, it's game after game. You know, you've got under 20s playing 56, maybe 64 games a year. So it's a large amount, of, a large amount of traveling, large amount spent on coaches, on buses, sorry, et cetera. Um, you know, in terms of football, again, you, you know, that, that was uh, 10, 12 years ago. So I haven't been in a professional football club for a long time and how that culture has cha has changed or has developed um you know and you you need to come in with a philosophy of what you want to do accept that that culture and blend you know that the way you do things you know your principles should be solid they're, they're the things you you kind of base yourself around but your methods can change from day to day to get the best out of people and that, that's that's a big thing basically and those principles take a long time to develop and and kind of um, and build on basically nice uh, there's a there's a thought experiment for me that's the uh, snc coach designs the program the coach designs the program and <clears throat> you both get in the room and work out what the best blend looks like, quite frankly. But I think often, <clears throat> often the coaches designing the program would be my uh, would be my experience. What I mean, and and what have you noticed? I'm curious about motorsport because it's a bit more individual, and I'm also curious about what you notice about coaches and their development. So you'll have seen lots of coaches across lots of domains, and they're definitely spending a lot of time trying to help other people get better. But I guess partly because it's my world as well. What do you notice about coaches and their attention on either themselves and their wellness and their care, but also their them becoming better at their craft and what they do? Um, yeah, so at London Welsh, we probably had maybe eight or nine interns come through the whole system over the course of the time. Um, and, and fortunately, I'd say eight of them or, or at least 95% have gone off and, you know, working in professional sport or strength and conditioning is their full-time job. Um, and I think from my own personal development is when I met um, a guy called Ryan Campbell um, and basically he opened my eyes that you didn't have to read a strength and conditioning textbook to get better at strength and conditioning. So human interaction and personal development is an area that you can you should be doing all the time to improve your coaching so it doesn't have to be directly rated to coaching to improve your your coaching so indirectly um you know and really kind of started my 
passion for, you know, like Stephen Covey's Seven Factors of um, Highly Effective People, um, you know, really kind of started to, that was really the first thing that pushed me through. And then, you know, you've got books on Malcolm Gladwell, et cetera, et cetera, and um, emotional intelligence, all, all these types of areas that in strength and conditioning masters, it doesn't get talked about. Um, but has the biggest effect on players. Um, and, you know, from a coach development point of view, it, it is, 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 is huge. And I'm, I'm sure you, you know that. Yeah, I'm, I would say it's probably a differentiator. I mean, the reality is most people who've got an S&C Masters or a Level 4 coaching or whatever it might be have probably got some, some similar stuff that they understand from a tech-tech point of view, although some people would... would believe that that they are like they know more stuff and they can use longer words than other people but actually my experience of speaking to players and I guess it would be something you know it sounds like you do regularly as well is that they want people to connect with them and understand them and they want to be stretched yeah like really good players want to be challenged and stretched and they want someone that they can bounce stuff off and help them make sense of stuff and they don't want it to feel awkward. Yeah, you know, you got to realise that, like with work, that rugby players would spend probably more time in that environment than they, they would do at home with their, with their families sometimes. Um, you know, and it has to be enjoyable. Um, and if you look at, like, Daniel Pink's work, you know, the three areas, you look at, for, for motivation, you need autonomy. You need players to feel as if they're, they're, they have control over their, or they have some, some type of control that they can put on their sessions, whether that be changing the exercise up a little bit or et cetera, et cetera. The have mastery is, does the player feel they're getting better? And lastly, you have purpose. Do they, do they feel they have a purpose in the team? And if I think back now to players that I thought were unmade, unmotivated, lazy people, one of those three was missing, basically. So purpose, well, they probably won't get, get, get selected. They didn't feel they had a place in the team, no. Mastery, they didn't feel like they were getting any, any better. You know, autonomy, they just felt as if this was, you know, like being in a prison camp, basically. You know, there was no, it was an inflexible environment. And if you put those three things together and work on them, I think you have hugely motivated players. Yeah, I would I would speak to lots of players that would feel like they're getting none of the above, especially the autonomy. I think we 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 exist in a coach's world where coaches often feel like they have to organise, and often to their own detriment, they're doing too much stuff. Actually, other people would love to to have some say. Um, mate, it's been a pleasure. Where can people find you? What's the so on Instagram is on Instagram is the Athlete Tribe. Um, Website is www.theathletetribe.com. Um, you know, more than happy to talk to, to any coaches about any area of player development or people development. It's, it's a big passion. Cool, Lee. It's been a pleasure. Oh, Go and enjoy the, uh, the, your sea view. Thank you.